if you are that individual teacher, what I think is a really good thing is if you're feeling that you're being, I call it run over. And we've all had days where we feel like we're being run over. And actually, if somebody says to you, hey, you were right, it's absolutely fine to say, do you know what? I'm really not today. And if you swap that around as well, if you are a member of staff and you spot someone else and you think, do you know what? They look like they're being run over. Be that person that says, hey, are you all right? Is there anything I can do to help? Welcome to the School Behaviour Secrets Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Corrigan. My co-host is Emma Shackleton, and we're obsessed with helping teachers, school leaders, parents, and of course, students when classroom behaviour gets in the way of success. We're going to share the tried and tested secrets to classroom management, behavioural special needs, whole school strategy, and more, all with the aim of helping your students reach their true potential. Plus, we'll be letting you eavesdrop on our conversations with thought leaders from a around the world so you'll get to hear the latest evidence-based strategies before anyone else this is the school behavior secrets podcast welcome everybody my name's simon Currigan, and welcome to another episode of school behavior secrets the show that proves the bar for producing an educational podcast is lower than it's ever been and i'm proud to think that we did our little bit in our own way to lower that bar even further I'm joined today by my number one co-host, Emma Shackleton. Hi, Emma. Hi, Simon. I was just wondering... Is this a question you've got for me by any chance? It's like you read my mind. Go on then. Emma, I'd like to ask you, apart from answering my questions, what part of daily life causes you the most stress? (laughs) An easy question at last. For me, I think what causes me stress is trying to fit everything in. Everyone seems so busy these days and I'm not very good at relaxing as I have got a tendency to feel like I need to always be on or doing something. Work is wonderfully busy and so is home and social life. So it can sometimes feel a bit overwhelming to try and do it all. What about you, Simon? What do you find stressful? Well, this never used to bother me so much when I was younger, but being late for things like, you know, our role involves going around Birmingham and the Midlands and driving around lots of schools and being unexpectedly late and not being able to do anything about it. I don't get angry about it. I do find it much more stressful than I used to. It's frustrating when you're just stuck and you can't do anything. I know. I need to be somewhere. Please move. And then you can't. (laughs) Trapped in the three columns of traffic that are moving absolutely nowhere. Go on then. How is this question related to today's podcast? Well, today we've got my interview with Simon Bolger, who used to be a head teacher and then left to start the organisation That Wellbeing Guy and work with schools and teachers to tackle the chronic problem of stress and burnout in the workplace. So if you're listening to this and you're feeling overwhelmed by the pressure and stress of work right now, today's show is going to be perfect for you. Exactly, because if you're stressed out or in a bad place emotionally, you're not going to be able to support the kids in your class, either with their emotions or teaching or learning or, well, anything else, in fact. This sounds like a really important and timely interview. But before we press play, I've got a quick favour to ask. When the show is over, if you know of two or three colleagues that you think would find this information useful, please open your podcast app and hit the share button. And then your podcast app will help you send direct links to this episode so that other people can get the help that they need too. And now here's Simon's episode with Simon Bolger, also known as That Wellbeing Guy. I'm excited to welcome Simon Bolger to the podcast today. Simon's a former primary school head teacher who's on a mission to start a wellbeing revolution in our schools. He wants communities in schools to be well-led, well-loved, well-taught and well-placed for future challenges. 
He left his role as head teacher in 2019 to start the organization That Wellbeing Guy and is determined to support as many schools as possible to become great places for children to learn and for adults to work. And he now operates as a teacher, speaker, consultant, coach, and writer. Simon, welcome to the show. Hello, Simon. Nice to see you this morning. Oh, it's great to have you on the show today. And today we're going to focus more on teacher well-being. So I want to start by asking, there's obviously been a lot of change in schools recently with the pandemic, but education has been taking its toll in the long term when it comes to teachers' mental health and their well-being. So taking that long-term view, what do you think have been the big causes of that? Well, let's start with what the teachers are actually telling us. Every year, the Education Support Partnership, they conduct a survey that's called the Teacher Wellbeing Index Survey. And in 2021, from around three and a half thousand staff members, that survey found that 77% of school staff have experienced symptoms of poor mental health due to their work. We've got 72% who are saying that they are stressed, and that rises to 84% for senior leaders. 46% go into work even when unwell, and that's called presenteeism. And 42% think their school culture has a negative impact on their wellbeing. And then we've got 54% of staff who have considered leaving the profession. So this tells us that workload, presenteeism and school culture are some of the biggest culprits for the decline in the mental health and well-being of school staff. Added on to this, we've got the extreme external accountability, which is fueling the workload crisis. We've got reduced budgets and then the retention of staff as well. And it's hard. And sometimes in education, I always say it feels like it's trying to hit a bullet with a smaller bullet whilst riding a horse blindfolded. <laughs> so why do we persist with this approach if we know it's sick? And, and when you go into schools and you teach, you speak to senior leaders and you speak to teachers, they know it's not healthy. Why do we keep doing it? I think you also, you fall into this trap where this is what we've always done. So this is what we're going to keep doing. And I find that in some schools I go into and it might be something like a pupil progress meeting and the the data is inputted by the staff. Then the the data is then given back to the staff by senior leaders. Then the staff are asked to then handwrite that data out again. So you've got three lots of data input that's happening there. And I'll just say, why are you doing it like that? And I'll always just hear back, well, that's how we've always done it. So why would we change? Yeah, but what if you did change? What if you just changed just a little bit? Do you think your staff could be any happier? Or do you think we could be more effective in what we're doing? And sometimes you say that and you, you can see the look on people's faces where they realise, actually, yeah, maybe we could. And that's just one small aspect of school life. Imagine if we apply that to so many different strands and dimensions of school life, the difference that we could actually make. Could you talk a little bit about when you speak to teachers, bringing it up to date with the pandemic, what kind of changes and additional stresses do they talk about? What kind of specific specific things that are making life even more difficult for teachers' well-being at the moment? I think from my experience of working with lots of teachers around the country, the biggest culprits are that excessive workload, accountability and toxic cultures as well. So workload expectations are driven by school leaders and the behaviour of our leaders sets the tone for the culture of the school. And if we create a culture where we expect staff to stay late, work lots at home and engage in excessive paperwork and meetings and data input, then it will eventually take its toll on our teaching community. And we can talk about taking personal responsibility for our own well-being, which certainly has its place. We can read all the self-help books and personal development books in the world, but without actually engaging our school leaders and ensuring that they're on board with the initiative, we'll never really secure the cultural change that we need to ensure staff members are enabled to flourish in their roles every day. And unfortunately, I sometimes hear about schools who believe well-being is providing yoghurt and yoga for staff, and then expecting nobody to feel stressed or show any signs of feeling stressed. And if they do, then... You know, they're either singled out or criticised for it. For me, we really need to make sure that our school leaders are the ones who get behind the initiative and belief that wellbeing is central for securing high performance of staff and enabling those staff members with everything they need to provide that world-class experience for children. And if staff are suffering from burnout, stress and overload, then 
that's never going to happen, is it? I think we talk a good game in schools about children's mental well-being and mental health nowadays. But actually, like you say, when it comes to our staff, it's almost we have a different set of expectations and we wallpaper over the cracks with small initiatives and we're not looking at that culture. So how do we start that culture change? If you're a sort of middle leader in school right now and you're listening to this and you're looking at your staff in school, how do you start the ball rolling? You have to start small. That, I think that's the key bit because often I work with, like you say, middle leaders, like key stage leaders, phase leaders, and sometimes well-being leaders or well-being champions that they're called in some schools. And they say to me, well, what am I supposed to do in my position to be able to influence the culture? Well, that's just it. You have to just influence it in small ways. And I kind of liken it to this, that the, the ocean is made of drops and we need to focus on those first. The ripples and the waves will come later. So if you're a middle leader, you have to do everything that you can to empower your team. You have to do everything that you can to influence the people that are around you. And the way that you do that is if you want the spark in other people, you have to take care of the spark in yourself. So if you are getting out of bed every morning, you know, determined to be, the, you know, the best middle leader in the world, you, we've got to have moonshot goals, haven't we? If you get out of bed with that ambition in the morning and making that choice, then that's going to leak out of you and into the people around you and into your team. And what we want to do is start that wave across your school. And the idea is that other people will pick up on that. And hopefully we can start to influence our more senior leaders to be able to be on board with that cultural shift and that cultural change. OK, then. So let's move this to individual teachers now. Why do they get stuck in terms of poor mental health? You started talking about taking personal responsibility for our own mental well-being. What stops them moving towards being less stressed and being more happy in the workplace? Well, I said earlier that 42% think their school's culture has a negative impact on their well-being. The other key thing that comes out of that is that half of all members of staff in school are aware if their school has a, a mental health and well-being policy. So it also comes back to actually asking for help, being that person to go out and say, look, I'm stuck, I'm struggling, this is hard, I need a bit more time, because they're worried about the consequences that they'll face because of that. And I think having been a teacher for a number of years, you get into that, I call it guilty teacher syndrome. Sometimes it's actually, if you're unwell, sometimes it's actually easier to just go in and just try and get through the day and teach the lesson than have that day off and try and sort it out. And because we get stuck into that, we don't know how to speak up and we're not empowered enough to speak up. And I think that's a generational thing that has stuck within schools for generations that you know, it doesn't matter who you are and where you are in your career, it's kind of passed down that actually you're a teacher and this is your job and you need to get on with it. But what we need to do is we really need to challenge that narrative and we need to try and change that narrative as best as we can. So if you are that individual teacher, what I think is a really good thing is if you're feeling that you're being, I call it run over, and we've all had days where we feel like we're being run over. And actually, if somebody says to you, hey, you were right, it's absolutely fine to say, do you know what, I'm really not today. And if you swap that around as well, if you are a member of staff and you spot someone else and you think, do you know what, they look like they're being run over, be that person that says, hey, are you all right? Is there anything I can do to help? Sometimes you might not be that right person. Sometimes you might need to escalate it and say, look, do you know what, I've seen Simon and he looks like he's really struggling today. I think someone could just really do with having a word with him. And just escalate it and pass that on and look out for each other. Because I kind of think that because of the excessive accountability that we're feeling, Sometimes that's lost in some of our schools, and that's one of the things that we really, really need to change. You work with schools on implementing techniques from positive psychology. What is positive psychology, and how does it differ from normal psychology, and how can adults in school use it? So positive psychology began as a, a new domain of psychology. That was in the late 1990s. And this guy called Professor Martin Seligman, he chose it as a theme for his term when he was the president of the American Psychological Association. 
So he and a, another psychologist called Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, he's uh, the psychologist who wrote the book Flow, which is all about flow theory and flow states. They describe positive psychology as the scientific study of what makes life most worth living. And they focus on both individual and social well-being as well. Now, Seligman has done a lot of work on the science of flourishing. Now, flourishing is essentially you being at your best. We've all had days when we've been at our best, when we get out of bed in the morning and show that determination and zip to be at our best. And I say zip stands for, so Z-I-P, I say that stands for zeal, inspiration and positivity. So we get out of bed and we want to grab that in the morning. Now, the key is to try to learn to have more days like that and fewer days where we feel a bit meh or a bit beige. So positive psychology has some different dimensions and they can include self-discovery where we identify what makes us tick and we can use that to our advantage, where we develop our potential. I liken this to a process called ignition, where we supercharge our strengths and we enable ourselves to use those more often. And understanding our purpose and having a sense of feeling part of something bigger than ourselves. Now I call these belonging cues where as a head teacher, I worked to communicate to staff that I see here, trust and need them to achieve our shared goals. And what that really is, that sets the tone for the culture as well. Now, Seligman talks about internal voluntary change to achieve lasting levels of happiness. I phrase this simply as predisposition over position. If we can challenge our predispositions, then maybe we can more positively influence our experience of life. Achieving a state of flow where we feel that intense involvement in an activity and time literally flies by. We as teachers can create this for ourselves and for the children we teach as well. At its most simple, I ask, what sort of person do you want to be? Why do you want to be that person? And how will you prove to yourself on a daily basis that you are that sort of person? So what sort of actions can we take or what kind of habits can we develop in our practice to help us use those principles, to help us feel better on a day-by-day basis? What are the practical things that we do in the classroom or in school to sort of use those techniques? Look, first of all, we need to be kinder to ourselves. So when I lead training sessions, I always say, put your hand up if you talk to yourself. And then a few people do. And I say, if you didn't put your hand up, you're a liar. And then those people in their head, they say, no, I'm not. And they prove my point for me. <laughs> in short, you are your own personal motivator, biggest critic and own worst enemy. And where focus goes, energy flows. So we might as well focus on speaking and thinking about ourselves in a more positive manner. Trying to be present in an age of distraction as well is challenging, but it's definitely worth it. Like everything around us, the news, Netflix, social media, your phone, they're all trying to attract your attention and they're trying to steal your focus. And sometimes we forget that we actually have a choice about where we focus our attention. So trying to be present in your relationships with your family, your friends, your colleagues, your own children and the children we teach is absolutely crucial. We need to look after ourselves physically as well as emotional. All movement is good movement. And the power of exercising, no matter how little, is actually astonishing. I think it's Joe Wicks, he says, you'll never regret a workout. I think we can all like agree that that's true. Circles of control and influence are also really important. I'm going to borrow a little equation from the author, Paul McGee, who you should definitely get on this podcast, by the way. Paul says, E plus R equals O. So it's the event plus my response, which gives me the outcome. It's not necessarily the event that gives the outcome. So that's a really nice a nice thing for us to think about. Can I dig into that a little bit more, actually? Go for it. So is that about the stories we tell ourselves about the things that have happened and being more intentional about how we react to an event? So maybe the head teacher comes in, and dump some assessment on our desks and says, you know, I need those in two days. Is it what we say about that and how we respond to it that affects how we then feel? Absolutely. Let me give you an example. I was uh, was a head teacher at the time. It was one of my middle leaders who won't mind me telling you this either. The children came in one minute late from the end of lunchtime and that teacher was there why are you one minute late? Where have you been for one minute late? We're meant to be doing PE. Cancel PE. We don't have time to get changed. Right. Handwriting books all afternoon. The whole afternoon is ruined. 
and it was like a minute past one. And I went and just sort of said, I don't think the whole afternoon is actually ruined. And it, <laughs> what had happened is that teacher got from zero to 100 and that's what tends to happen. Now I call this the heart process. There's a, something for each uh, letter of the word heart. So we've got what happens the emotion that I experience, the action that I take, the result I get, and then what happens time and time again. So let's just rewind it. What happened? The children came in late. The emotional response was I'm cross, angry, annoyed, frustrated. The action that I take, right, we'll cancel everything. We're going to sit, do handwriting, hop, nobody speak to me. No, nobody look at me. This is, it's all ruined, that sort of thing. Then the result that you get, well, the kids are going to be on edge. Midday supervisors who brought the kids in, they're going to be thinking, oh, I'm going to, you know, tiptoe around that person. The members of support staff are going to be there. And then even for yourself, how you're feeling. And then the time and time again, how you're feeling in that moment. You know, if you have three moments like that a week over the course of the whole school year, you, you got yourself in trouble there, haven't you? So what I say is we need to break the heart. So we do that by spelling the word differently. So we get what happens. The kids come in late. Well, that's fine. But what we need to do is we need to intercept that emotion with thinking. And sometimes we kind of forget, don't we, that we are responsible for our thoughts. We're not necessarily responsible for our emotions. And that comes back to what you said, Simon. It's the stories that we tell ourselves. So actually, if I intercept that moment and ask myself, okay, I'm going to intercept this with thinking, what actually happened in that moment that meant the kids came in a minute late? And ask myself, this is another thing that this author, Paul McGee, says. He says, is my response appropriate? Is my response proportionate? But actually, that member of staff, they could just say to themselves, I wonder if everything was okay at lunchtime. Go to that midday supervisor. Look, the kids are coming late. Was everything all right? Was there a behavior issue? Was there a safeguarding issue? Was there an accident? Is there anything I can do to help you? Don't worry, kids. I know we're in a minute late, but actually, we'll just get ready super fast for PE and then we'll be able to get ourselves outside. So now that I've changed the way that I've thought about the moment, uh, that story that I've told myself, I've reframed it and rephrased it, I've got a completely different emotion. Now, because of that, I can take a completely different action. Because of that, I get a different result. And if I do that time and time again, I know, you know, that's not necessarily a high pressure situation. But I know in situations like that, that I can respond effectively in that type of moment. What sort of habits should we avoid doing? We've started to touch on this. We need to be more intentional about how we're responding to events. What other sort of things should we be doing or stop doing? That's the key part of the question, really. So I actually do this as part of my training. I say, can you come up with 10 habits that we should avoid doing? And this is what I found over the course of the last sort of two and a bit years. These are the top 10 answers that I hear. So number one, stay inside all day. Two, move as little as possible. Three, spend more than you earn. Four, take yourself and life too seriously. Five, look for reasons why things won't work. Six, always find someone else to blame. Seven, always consume and never contribute. Eight, be jealous of the lucky and successful. Nine, never smile at someone first. And 10, be unreliable. And then when we do this with children as well, what we do is exactly the same thing to come up with that. And then we say, right, what can we do that's the opposite of that, that's going to help us to try and be the best that we can on a daily basis? So the benefits of improving well-being for individual teachers then are fairly obvious. You're going to feel better. You're probably going to have a bit more confidence. You're going to be less stressed. But again, bringing this back to the middle leader who might be listening to this or the senior leader, what are the whole school benefits of investing in and implementing this kind of approach at the whole school strategic level? Well-being isn't just about being nice to staff members. It's not about have a duvet day or here's a lovely sort of wicker basket put in the staff room filled with delicious, exotic guava and dragon fruit. And or if we go to the staff toilet, there's a, a lovely selection of delightful body shop soap. It's none of those sorts of things. It's about creating a cultural chemistry that transforms tired, burnt out individuals into cohesive, motivated and happy teams that can accomplish amazing things together. At its most basic level, if school staff are not happy, engaged and motivated, then what is that actually going to do for the children? And what is the impact of that going to be then once you transform 
this group of people who are tired, burnt out into a more motivated, coherent group of people. What's the benefit going to be for like the kids? What sort of changes are we going to see in school? So there's this great thing in terms of flourishing when you are at your best. Your positive habits and your positive attitude, it can leak out of you and into the people around you. So if you imagine that you come in in the morning and you're there and the kids are coming in first thing for registration, you've got your back to the desk, you're tutting, you're trying to get the Sims register to load, you're kicking the table because it won't load up, and you're thinking, oh, I'm having the worst day ever already, the kids are going to pick up on that. And I actually believe that if you spent some time in a school and wandered around, you can actually match up the children to the staff members because the children, over time, they catch that attitude off of those members of staff. But actually, if you're there on the door, building that rapport with those children, morning, how are you? Nice to see you. I like your hair. Are those new shoes? Do you see the football of the weekend? I know, fantastic, wasn't it? If you're having those types of conversations, actually building rapport, the kids catch up on that quite quickly. At its most basic as well, they'll be picking up that message of that teacher really cares about me. That teacher really knows about me. That teacher will really look after me. That teacher's in a great mood. And they can catch that themselves as well. And I think if you're a head teacher and you walk into a room where that sort of thing is taking place, this amazing thing called pro-noia is going to kick in. And pro-noia is the opposite of paranoia. And it's the feeling that people are saying nice things about you behind your back. So what can kick in there is you as a head teacher, wow, do you know what? You should go into Sharon's classroom. You should see the way she greets the kids, the way she speaks to the kids, the praise. You see the energy levels in there as well. It's fantastic. If you want to see some really enthusiastic teaching, Sharon's your person to go in and see. And actually, slowly, that can start to build a culture as well. It's that second-hand praise. That's a, another really powerful thing. So if you're a teacher or you're a middle leader, that's the place to start. You've got to take care of that spark in yourself, first of all. And what that does, that can ignite it in the people around you. If you're a teacher or school leader listening to this podcast, what's the first step you can take today to start improving well-being in school? The first step, Start with the end in mind, all right? Ask yourself, what type of school do we want to be? If I was to walk around your school when it is at its best, what would I see, hear, and feel? And try and define that in three words, if you can. If I were to ask the staff what I'd see, hear, and feel, what would they say? Get them all together and try and come up with just those three words. And actually, because you've put a a parameter and a restriction on the way that you're going to define it, it actually makes people think more closely and more deeply about how they would actually define what it's like to be in their school. And then if you're the head teacher, what would you like your staff members to be able to say about your school? What that does, it gives some staff ownership of being able to set the culture and direction of the school. When you do that, you're empowering them. You're starting motivation and you're raising engagement. And they're all the foundations for those higher levels of well-being. It's going to get you onto that trajectory of a higher level of well-being. Then ask yourself, why do we even want to be that type of school? What type of impact do we want to have? Can we put it into one clear sentence? And it might be, at this school, we... Uh, um, we do this by, and then you can finish that with a uh, so that. And you're looking at that what, that how, and that why. Now, this is the question to ask yourself. What will we do every day as a school to prove we are that type of school? And that can link back into the types of habits and behaviours that we've talked about that you can put into place on a daily basis. How can our listeners find out more about your resources? You've clearly got a structure and a programme for helping schools make this happen. How can our listeners find out more about you and the kind of services that you provide? So I offer live face-to-face training and there's some online training options as well. And I have some premium resources that are available as well. So you can visit my website at www.thatwellbeingguy.org. You can email me as well, simon at thatwellbeingguy.org. Let me know that, you know, you loved this podcast or you hated it or you're indifferent to it. You can let me know how you thought it went. You can find me on Facebook as well. I'm on all the other social media channels, but Facebook is my preferred channel because I often find the other channels to be just that little bit too noisy. So if you find me on Facebook, if you just type in That Wellbeing Guy and look for the purple logo and the yellow stones, you'll be able to find me. And we ask this of all our guests, who is the key figure that's influenced you? Or what's the key book that you've read 
that's had the biggest impact on your approach to working with kids? Now, surprisingly, it's not actually a book about happiness or well-being. But Bounce and Black Box Thinking by Matthew Side have had a huge impact on me over the years. I met Matthew. It was about a month before I was due to become a head teacher. And I wanted all these, to say all these things to him. And I actually just sort of stood there with my mouth wide open because I was just so delighted to meet him. Now, Bounce in particular taught me three key ideas that I've carried through my career for years. And those ideas are that talent is a result of hours of purposeful practice and not innate talent. That expert knowledge comes from experience. There's an equation that I've formulated that I've used in schools for a long time. And it says it's knowledge times effort equals skill and skill times effort equals achievement. So effort is needed twice over. And if you want to be world-class at anything or good at anything, you have to embrace failure. So on a personal level, you know, that influenced me. I wanted to put the test, the principles within Bounce and how my repeated behaviours could shift my mindset. So I bought myself a Rubik's Cube. I'm sure we're all familiar with what that is. And I set about learning to solve it based on Matthew Side's definition of purposeful practice. Now, he says purposeful practice is about striving for what is just out of reach and not quite making it. It's about grappling with tasks beyond those current limitations and falling short again and again and then trying to fix it. Well, I stuck with it. I failed lots of times. I made lots of mistakes, but I tried to continually fix where I was going wrong. And in time, after all those setbacks, those hours of research, reading, practice, and getting into a flow state, I learned how to solve the cube. So now my personal best of solving the Rubik's Cube is 52 seconds. So I think more than anything, what this teaches us is that the school and staff well-being is a lot like the cube. It's a tricky and challenging puzzle, but ultimately it's totally worth it. Simon, I think that's a brilliant note on which to end the podcast interview. Thank you very much for being on the show. And I'm sure our listeners will find what you've said today so useful and so practical. And you've given us so many things we can take away and start using straight away. Thank you very much. Thank you, Simon. It's been a pleasure and privilege to speak with you today. Keep up the good work and I wish you all the best. Thank you. You know, in that interview, Simon makes so many good points about the importance of taking care of our mental well-being and what we can do in schools to move away from a culture of burnout and stress. There's definitely a thing or two I need to take on board from that interview. (laughs) I'll add it to my to-do list. Just kidding. (laughs) I'll drop direct links to Simon's website and Facebook page in the show description. And if you're feeling stressed with behaviour in your class, we've got a range of resources to help inside our inner circle. We've got 35 video training and resources on subjects like how to use emotion scaling, which is all about helping kids take action when they are experiencing strong emotions like anger or anxiety. We've also got how to coach pupils through strong emotions, which shares a simple framework for teaching kids the skills to manage big emotions for themselves and not overreact to situations. And we've also got how to de-escalate, which is our deep dive into successfully managing pupils when they've lost control of their emotions and actions. We've even got a training on using mindful moments to help kids and potentially adults surf strong emotions and release stress. And right now you can get access to all of that training, all those 35 videos and resources with our Inner Circle membership. You can get your first seven days for just one pound and you can cancel your subscription at any time. So if you'd like to take advantage of that offer, visit beaconschoolsupport.co.uk and click on the big inner circle picture near to the top of the page. We'll also drop a direct link in the show notes. Finally, if you've liked what you've heard today, make sure you don't miss next week's episode. Open up your podcast app now and hit that subscribe button or follow as it's now called in Apple Podcasts. And then your podcast app will make sure every future episode is downloaded and waiting for you 
so you never miss a thing. And to celebrate, why not encourage a young relative to start a collection of laminated rocks? Kick off their collection by presenting them with some fragments of shale or coal. Or, if you really want to ignite their passion, why not go that extra mile and give them some example of chemical chirts? They really are gorgeous. Chemical chirts? You know it. Those cheeky little laminates just... Okay, okay. I'm stopping it there. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. I hope you have a brilliant, less stressed week. And we'll look forward to seeing you in the next episode of School Behaviour Secrets. Bye. Bye. Bye.